going to do something a little bit different um, this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Genesis chapter 1. But I am uh, going to, I'm going to feed you a lot more scripture than what you're probably used to uh, consuming on a Sunday morning. I'm going to read the first three chapters in Genesis with you to the extent that I can without commentary. And, and, and you might think, well, that's, that's not much of a sermon. That's just reading. Sermons try to explain things. And if you thought that, you'd be right. But I have reasons for doing this. And as soon as we're done reading through Genesis chapters 1 through 3 together, I will tell you what those are. But for now, just follow along with me in your Bibles. If you have them, get them out or turn them on. We'll have it up on the screen behind me as we begin reading in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Moses, who we credit with writing the book of Genesis, is laying out for us the beginning of all things. And he says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the earth, or the dry land, earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seeds, and fruit trees bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind, on earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and seasons, and for days and years. And let them be lights in the, let them be lights in the expanse of heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. And let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. 
So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the water swarms according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth and everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the face of the ground, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It was the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, and it is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, to keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, or we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. She took its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her when she ate. Does that count as commentary? Oh. <laughs> and then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he, this is God talking, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave of me the fruit of the tree, and then I ate it. And the Lord God, I just have to stop there, I'm sorry. This is such a man thing to do. I've been married for Casey for 22 years now, and it's a, it's a game for us, for me. It may not be so much for her, but to find out whatever happens, how it's her fault. It's always her fault. If I burn the toast... We may have to do some mental gymnastics to get there, but some way it's Casey's fault. And that just, oh, Adam, poor Adam, dear Adam. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and, and I ate. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed 
are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I want you to, I just have to, I'm sorry. (laughs) At the fall, Christ is prophesied. The seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. Your uh, other translations may say crush the head of the serpent. When it happened, God had a plan. Okay. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire will be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Okay. That's Genesis 1 through 3 without much commentary. Now that wasn't so bad, was it? It's about uh, 10, 15 minutes to read through that. Didn't take too long. And I'm reading out loud with pauses and inflections. Most people do not read at the, the same speed that they speak. They read much faster than what they talk. So it would have taken, if you were just to read that on your own, wouldn't have taken nearly as long as, as I just took this morning. So, so what is the point of all that? Why do that? Why read three chapters of the Bible instead of trying to just preach through it? I'll give you three reasons. Reason number one, to the glory of God. Today is the first day of the year, and so, you know, everyone is uh, both uh, introspective and retrospective, and we're looking back on the, the year that is behind us and forward on the year to come to new beginnings. I think it's appropriate for us to go back to the beginning of it all and for us to be reminded from the Holy Scripture that in the beginning, there was God. And He wasn't just God there, but God among us. He walked and talked with us. And since He was there with us in the beginning, this God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is the God who continues to be with us in the here and now. Yesterday's God, today's God is one and the same 
with tomorrow's God, for God will never leave us or forsake us. He will be with us forevermore. Amen. Glory to his great name. That's reason number one, to the glory of God. Reason number two, there are two sides to this reason, is for our good. To the glory of God, for our good. The first side of this second reason is the pew, that is the congregation. The Bible is certainly precious, if you hold it precious. It is the Word of God. It is alive and powerful. It can pierce the conscience and convict the soul. Amen. So any opportunity that we take to read the Scriptures is a good opportunity, and it is not an opportunity wasted. Amen. I want very badly to cultivate in this body a faith in God that is so deeply rooted in the sufficiency and the authority of His Word, the Bible, that no weapon that challenges your faith will be able to stand against it or prosper. Amen. We are Christians. Amen. We are the anointed followers of the anointed one who is Jesus Christ. Amen. And as Christians, we are people of the Bible. It is on the authority and the basis of what is said in the Bible that we can even take the name. Here's where the problem comes in. Studies show that across America, when I say, uh, 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 what am I saying? Um, uh, what do they do? The polls. Uh, a research organization, Barna, they do a lot of church research and other organizations like that. They poll people who, you know, in churches and out of churches just to try to get a, a test or, a, a, you know, try to take the temperature of the spiritual health and well-being of, of the nation. And so what their studies have shown is that across America, personal Bible study at home looks like a cherry-picked verse or paragraph from the day. That kind of approach to the Bible not only leaves us with a superficial understanding of the Bible, but it leaves us without a sufficiently developed appetite for Bible-saturated, verse-by-verse preaching on Sundays. Amen. Amen. I've told you before that I, I don't use personal devotional material, you know, boxed material that is written as devotional in my personal study time. This is the main reason I don't do that. Most of those materials, even, even the good ones, they lack a holistic approach to the Scriptures. Amen. So the, the random Bible verse approach, or here's the verse for the day, or here's your little passage for the day, the, which is kind of like the, that's the mainstreamed, boxed, devotional approach to Bible study, very easily leads us into weak, poor study habits. It tends to promote a low view of what's called expository preaching. Let me define that for you. Expository preaching is preaching such that the point of the passage that you're reading, the point of the Bible passage, is also the point of the sermon. Typically, it's done in a verse-by-verse, book-by-book approach. Not always, though, but the point is that the point of the message is the point of the Bible. 
or the Bible's point is the point of the message. If you listen to a lot of the big name TV preachers actually read the passages that they are preaching from, you might find it difficult to trace a line from the the point of their sermon, which is usually has something to do with stepping into your destiny or stepping into something or you know, living your best life now or something like that. You, you might have, if you read the passages they're, they're utilizing, you might have a hard time tracing a line from their point to the actual point of the text. Amen. Amen. The thing is that, that we, would, we would never approach reading a legal document or a will or any kind of important document with that kind of haphazardness. We would read it word for word, sentence by sentence, paragraph by paragraph, so that we understand what it is that it is saying, rather than just picking a few lines from the middle and thinking, well, I have it all now. Why then would anyone try to read the Bible with that kind of approach? So reason number two, for your, our good, the pew, is to build in you an appetite for studying the whole counsel of God, not just certain pieces of it, and to train our ears to be satisfied with the meat of the Bible, and to train our hearts to discern sound biblical teaching and preaching from the rest of what is popular out there today. The other side of this reason for our good is obviously the pulpit, and that is the preacher. I hope to be a better preacher. For a great number of years now, I have desired to be the kind of preacher that does not rely on catchy phrases or stories or jokes. I don't think the Bible is very funny. There's joy all through it, but it's not funny material. It's serious. The Apostle Paul says that he did not come with eloquent speech and catchy turns of phrase, but he came with the plain gospel. I believe that the Bible is sufficient and authoritative in every subject that it touches. I want to be the kind of preacher that helps people see that. Amen. Helps people understand God's word because that's where we go to meet him, yes. is in his word. I recently read this assessment about the state of preaching in today's pulpits in America. It said, In recent years, preaching has fallen on hard times. There seems to be a wide and shallow definition of exposition even within the most healthy pockets of evangelicalism. The typical pulpit method today is fad-driven and man-centered. This pragmatic approach to the pulpit ministry results in informal and often immature talks that are shallow, short, chatty, and filled with more cultural cliches than biblical theology. They're more like TED Talks than sermons. After all, it works to get people in the doors. If the church today will indeed see a revival, it will be based 
on a firm commitment to God's word rather than the shallowness of man-centered gimmicks. This kind of powerless, scripture-deprived preaching is only possible because the people who sit under this kind of preaching have powerless, scripture-deprived devotional lives. You wouldn't abide me doing that if your devotional life were fuller. People don't spend enough time in the Word of God to recognize terrible doctrine when they hear it. And I don't want that for this church. I'm not, I'm not accusing any of you. I'm laying out the danger. All right? There you go. I want to know that when myself or anyone else gets into this pulpit to proclaim the Word of God, that the bar is set high in the expectations of the people. I want to know that you are so used to a pure and healthy diet of Bible-saturated, spirit-empowered preaching that when you taste something fake, when it's made out of of additives and preservatives, that it upsets your stomach. Throughout history... The mark, the first mark of an authentic church has been that the preaching of the word is done rightly. The right preaching of the word. If you get that mark, then everything else in the church will fall into place. If you get it wrong, everything else is negatively impacted. I was having a conversation with my my brother-in-law this past week about churches. Right now they're looking for a home church. And he was talking about his kids, you know, and opportunities in the church and opportunities for them and and so on and so forth. And my advice to him was to put all that stuff on the back burner. Forget about that for the time being. And focus on finding a church where the Bible is faithfully preached. Because if they get that right, then they're more likely to get the other things right also. I don't know why it is that we think for some reason that our kids don't need to hear the word preached. Instead, what churches end up doing is they send them off to some back room somewhere to do coloring books and activities. I didn't grow up like that. I didn't grow up in a church like that. I grew up in the sanctuary, in the pew, hearing the word preached. And because of it, I have a healthy, strong appetite for right preaching of God's word. We're cultivating the wrong appetites in our children. We've been doing that for a generation Generally speaking, these days, again, based on studies, when you ask someone, and just think about it in your normal, everyday conversations with people about the church that they chose. Why did you choose this church? Why did you choose that church? What they will come back to you with as an explanation or a reason is some discussion about, oh, the music is great, the worship is good, the programs for the children, the church made me feel good, the pastor is dynamic and entertaining. But they rarely, if ever, discuss the fact that the church has a proper expository preaching methodology. He takes me through the word. 
I chose that church because Christ is made front and center in the faithful preaching of the word. Sadly, it doesn't seem to be a top priority for many professing Christian homes. Shallow preaching leaves people spiritually dry and hungry. It leaves you without foundation. It leaves you without a shield to quench the fiery darts of the devil. It leaves you weak. And a lot of modern preaching today, because the evangelical church isn't in a very healthy state these days, a lot of modern preaching is using every gimmick known to man in order to fill the pews. Some of the churches is like going to a rock concert more than it is going to church. I choose not to know gimmicks, but to know the grace of God in Jesus Christ according to the Scripture. In this church, I want the Word of God to do the work of God in the people of God to the glory of God. Amen. And for that to happen, as Paul told Timothy, we must preach the Word. Amen. Reason number three, finally, it combines the first two, to the glory of God for our good. I hope this morning on New Year's Day, to begin something new with all of you. And I'm hoping that you will join me in this with all sincerity and with all diligence. I want to challenge us all to read the whole Bible this year. Some of you may have already done that. You may do it on a regular basis. And if you do, that's fantastic. If you do that, then you already know the power and the grace and the mercy that is to be found in the daily reading of Scripture. Amen. If that is not you and you have not done that, you've never read the whole Bible, I encourage you to join us. Make this year be the year that you take the Word of God seriously enough to make it your daily bread. And here's the other piece of this. Rather than not just reading through the whole Bible, I want us to read through the Bible together. I want us to do it together so that we're all on the same page in the same portion of Scripture at the same time. There is great wisdom in this. I will discuss it at a different time because I'm running out of time right now. For now, this is what I'm asking us to do, to read through the Bible together this year. Now, I personally love the chronological reading plan. It takes you through the Bible in chronological order, so in the order of the events as they happen. For the most part, you'll just be reading through books But in the Old Testament, there are places where you're going to skip around a bit. For example, in uh, what happens in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, also are told in 1st and 2nd Chronicles. So you'll read uh, something in 1st and 2nd Samuel, and then you'll go to Chronicles and read the same thing. The same account, just told a little bit differently. And so you'll skip around a little bit during during that that phase. But I like this reading plan because it it unfolds the history of the Bible more clearly. And it helps you hold in your mind what is happening to the kingdom, what is happening to the people, what is happening in history as the Lord is revealing himself through his word, through his prophets to his people. I don't know about you, but just reading the Bible from cover to cover, if you just take the Old Testament and read Genesis through Malachi as as it's written or as it's presented to us in, in the Bible, things can get a little disjointed. Because you're reading a narrative here, and then you go to the next book, and you're reading all 100 years before that. And then you go to the next, and you're, because they're not organized chronologically. 
So I like this plan because it takes me chronologically through the Bible. It helps me hold the story of the history in my head as I read it. Keeps us in our mind what's going on in the text. If you do this every day, every day, it's just three to four chapters a day, maybe, if you're just a really slow reader, 20 minutes of reading every day. Now what I have, I have got all of January's readings printed out. Have that on the back, on that little stand by there by where we put our, our offering and tithes. I've got all of January's readings, so you can take one on your way out. And I'll make these available on our website as well. And I'll try to remember to post the daily readings on our Facebook page the day before that we read it. Um, have mercy on me if I forget. I'm going to do this every month. And so that this year, we will all be on the same page as we read. And you will notice when you pick up your paper that today's reading is done. We read it together. This morning. See what I did there? <laughs> I, uh, I cannot begin to tell you how amazingly and supernaturally God works through His Word when we are faithful Amen. to go meet Him in it. Amen. It seems that through the various things that happen throughout the year, it doesn't matter. No, it does not. It never fails. Wherever I am in my predefined reading plan... Amen. That is exactly the word I need for that season. Amen. It just, God is amazing in how he orchestrates my life, orchestrates his word to, to help me. And I know he'll do it for you. Amen. Amen. All that being said, I know <laughs> there's a bit of a, a disconnect here. Because what I did this morning doesn't exactly fit the definition that I gave you for good expository preaching, does it? Our text was Genesis 1 through 3. I did not take my point from that text. I made a completely different point and talked about completely different things. True things, but different things from the text. I wanted to show you just how easy it was to read through large portions of Scripture on a daily basis. I wanted to get today's reading done because I knew I was going to spring this on you. I didn't, I didn't want to catch you off guard. I want you to be prepared so you can jump into tomorrow with your both feet planted. Not behind, but on schedule. So I hope that you will forgive me this time. The thing is, not all good sermons have to be expository sermons, according to the definition that I gave you. Sometimes we have to come to the Bible thematically. We have to deal with certain themes across large sections or multiple sections of scriptures. Sometimes we have to address things that are happening in the world around us, and so we go to the scriptures to see what they have to say about that. And then other times, like this morning, we're, we're, we're casting vision. But overall, the dominant diet that, should, that we should have should be a careful and faithful exposition of the scriptures. It's my hope always to give you that. So, with all of this being said, Happy New Year. Let's begin this year with a commitment to building together an appetite for the Word, a voracious appetite for the Word, Amen. to the glory of God and for our good. Amen. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. I am astounded by your Word every time I open it. Father, Father I pray that you would put that astonishment within us, Lord, and a hunger within us to seek your word, to read your word, to meet you in your word, to just eat it up, Lord, like there's, there's no other bread that we can have but that. 
Father, I pray that you would make us into people of the Bible who live like Bible people, Lord, who live after your own heart, who are conformed to the image of your Son. Go with us this year, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.